0: disclaimer. This episode does include gruesome details about true events. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Vine podcast. I am your host, Felicity Brooke. And if you are new here, basically, this is a true crime. And I don't even think I should be saying conspiracy theory podcast anymore because we have only done one or two conspiracy theory episodes. So mainly just a true crime podcast. I like to stick with cases that aren't as widely known across the globe. I feel like everyone's case is just as important as the next. And I feel like it's important to start talking about the cases that aren't getting as much exposure and to let these victims' voices be heard and to find justice for them and to find some answers. Now. Before we get into the episode, I do want to ask you guys to please take a moment and rate and review this podcast in whatever platform you are listening to. It greatly helps me out. And also, if you can share it, um, whether you're sharing the YouTube one or you're sharing just the one from a platform that you are listening to, that really does help me out. But not only does it help me out, but it helps these victims and their families out Um Ultimately, I'm not doing this for quote-unquote fame or exposure or anything like that. What I'm doing this for is to help victims and their families seek justice, find answers, find the truth, and um, get a little bit of closure as well. Also, if you guys want to take the time to please follow me on Instagram and Twitter. On Twitter, I do a lot of victim advocacy, and I talk directly with the victims' families, Um, and I'm at the po one and on Instagram, it's more of a funny meme area where we just joke about um, serial killers and just random true crime memes, and that's at the Crime Vine Podcast. Now, before we get into this episode, I do wanna take a moment to let you guys know that this episode is a very important one. This one, um, we are gonna be hearing directly from the victim's mother. I did have a one-on-one phone call with her. She is mostly going to be telling the case. I um, did record that phone call, so you guys will be hearing a lot of her in this episode. But also I will be narrating it like I normally do. I'm just throwing in um, clips of the phone call and hopefully the episode will mostly be clips of the phone call just so you guys can really um, hear what happened from the mother's perspective because there's a lot of information that is a little confusing in this case. I'm not going to lie. I was extremely confused when I was, you know, talking with her and when I was doing research. It was it was a long phone call. It was about two hours and... Um, it, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of things that are confusing and a lot of things that are a little suspicious, if you ask me. So I do want to make sure that, you know, you guys understand this case. And I also want to let you know that if it is a little bit confusing, it's okay. It is It is confusing at first. For me, every time I do research on this case and every time I listen, I have listened to that phone call so many times and I have gotten different answers information out of it every time like it's stuff that I didn't notice before and it's stuff I kind of wish I had noticed during the phone call so I could follow up on those questions and um, kind of get more clarity but for we're just going to take it for what it is this is a very important case to me I find myself very involved in this case and I too just like the mother um, want to find answers about what happened to her son If you guys don't already, go ahead and grab yourselves a drink because this vine will definitely rope you in. The night of April 21st, 2012, Kokomo teen Tanner Barton was invited over to his best friend's house. Tanner had just come home from college for a few days right before finals.
1: Okay, well, we know Tanner, um, Tanner came home at about, it was about one-ish, 11, between 11 and 1, um, from college. he just, he, you know, had finished term paper, came home with all his laundry, of course, and, um, he took a nap, you know, we made him dinner. Uh, he was planning on going to Purdue University with his girlfriend, um, meeting her there, actually. It was her first college party, and he just wanted to, you know, make sure she was Okay. But he ended up that, we didn't know. That's all we knew when he left. Um, He left the house around five-ish. Now, I'm just going to tell you what we know, because there there was two, really kind of two investigations. One was barely an investigation, and the other one was more like a witch hunt against me, either. So we we just kind of found that out. But at 8.30, he said that, um, his phone says that he had gone, left to go out to a a friend's house. I guess we got to keep their names out of it. According
0: to his mother, Michelle Barton, Tanner arrived at his best friend's house around 9pm. His friends are saying he got there around 10. The friend that invited Tanner over said to Tanner when he got there that he was really tired and that he had a long day. He decided to go to bed for the night. Which seems to be a little bit odd because it was a known fact that when these two got together they would be up all night playing video games. Tanner is described as a very funny and a bundle of energy, and when Tanner rolls into town, nobody sleeps. Tanner's friend said that Tanner had come in to say goodbye to him while Tanner and his sister went out to get donuts from Dan's Donuts.
1: His friend who invited him over, you know, decided he wanted to go go to bed, he was tired, you know, of course, it's complete BS because when Tanner Barton rolls into town, nobody sleeps you know he's a bundle of energy yes he's so <laughs> funny and these two I know I know these two and you know they'll skip all night you know eating and watching video games you know and playing them and even the dad in his statement said you know Kara comes over there up all night long playing video games you know all night everybody said that in their you know statements But on this particular night his best friend said oh I just had a bad day I just need to go lay down and Tanner came in and said goodbye to me and he and my sister went to get donuts, which is completely ridiculous because we know for a fact, um, his friend is not going to just go lay down because he's had a bad day and, oh, goodbye Tanner, you know, Tanner, that just is ridiculous. I mean, come on, you're, you're with him and having, you know, every other time you're up all night, all night long, playing games and eating and, you know, whatever, but on this particular night the night tanner dies you decided to go to bed early and let him go with your 15 year old sister to get donuts and, and you know i don't know why nobody's seen through that one but um so he went they went to get donuts um we had there were three witnesses that did confirm that they seen his friend at dan's donuts that night and that that friend was actually um um intoxicated and they were worried that this kid was actually going to drive well you know, that's that statements that we had retrieved. Um, of course, the detective wouldn't bring them back in um, to, to re-question. He wouldn't question these other kids. So, um, like I said, it's been a one-sided witch hunt. The time when
0: they got back is unclear, but they were back by 1.50 a.m. because there was a picture, time-stamped, of Tanner going up a set of stairs around that time. Tanner's girlfriend called around 2.11 a.m. Later on, Tanner's girlfriend told Michelle that when she was on the phone with Tanner, there was a lot of, and this is a direct quote, rambunctiousness going on, and there were loud girls in the background. However, the sister of the friend's statement was they were having a quiet night in, and they were just talking about all of her problems she had at the time. The sister also said that she had gotten Tanner a beer, and he was drinking some beer. The sister of Tanner's friend said that it was only her and Tanner and that he made a funny noise, turned around, and collapsed and laid on the floor. She said at first she thought it was kind of weird and then as a joke, checked on his pulse without really checking it. In her statement, she said she checked his pulse and then stepped over him and went to bed.
1: We don't know between those times, um, the girl that was at the house who said that she was the only one with Tanner so that he made a funny noise Turned around, collapsed, and um, laid on the floor, and she said she thought it was kind of odd, weird. Um, And then she said it was kind of funny. She went, as a ha-ha joke, I checked his pulse. So she checked his pulse. So obviously something was wrong enough for somebody, and we don't believe it was that girl. We believe that she was just kind of the, she's the youngest, she won't get in trouble, you know. We can't get anybody in trouble, but the little girl's only 15. She won't get any trouble. Family, their adults were upstairs. They were not called. The dad in his statement said um, that he had taken at two o'clock in the morning. He didn't hear anything because he had taken a very powerful um, sleeping pill um, called um, Ambien C. It's like an extended, you know, extended. It's my dad used to take it. And I know how powerful it is. Yeah. Doing chores, so.
0: The father of Tanner's best friend said in his statement that at 2 a.m. he had taken an Ambien C, which is a very powerful sleeping pill. The dad was then up at 7 a.m. doing some chores. One of the daughters got up at 10 and claims in her statement that she didn't see Tanner deceased on the floor. 911 was not called until around 9.30 that morning. Let me reiterate that timeline for you. He collapsed at 3 a.m., meaning the police were not called until about six and a half hours later. One of the girls came running up to her dad and said she thinks Tanner broke his nose because there was blood coming out.
1: When they were in his hand, and I you know, about passed out, of course, because I, you know. But there was blood, and even the coroner in his report, the coroner's summary report, mentions Blood on the in, on the side of Tanner's hand, and I, and when I seen it, my instant thought was he wiped his nose, and there were blood driplets and it looked like he wiped, like he knew something was going on and wiped his nose, and that's why I think that girl, you know, said, hey, we think Tanner broke her his nose, but I knew the night before something was given to him.
0: A little odd because with the description that they gave of the position Tanner was in you wouldn't have been able to see his face. She also claims that when she went running upstairs she was getting something for Tanner and her dad was already getting something for Tanner which again in my opinion is a bit strange. How can he already be getting something to help Tanner when she ran upstairs telling them that something had happened to Tanner so they wouldn't have known something was wrong. The dad took a picture of Tanner that morning on his work phone and emailed it to his wife who was out getting donuts around 7.30 that morning. The night before, he was texting his wife back and forth, but this particular morning, he decided to use his work phone to not only take the picture, but to also email it to his wife. According to Michelle, that morning, the detectives did not believe the story that the family was saying. When Michelle and her husband got there, there were around 10 detectives spread throughout the yard and there was a crime scene tape set up.
1: So that morning, um, the parents couldn't decide, you know, somebody got up at seven and the other one got up at 7.30, one got up at eight. I mean, they're in the same bed. I mean, nobody's time, time. Um, the, the times were off. Like one of the girls that were there, even in her statement to the detective, there was another daughter there. There was three people. There was I'll go back to her in a minute. But that girl, she said she didn't get up till after 10. And even the detective said, well, didn't you see Tanner on the floor when you came upstairs? And she goes, no. And, he, and I'm like, and you didn't question her harder. Tanner was still lying on the floor, um, deceased, when this girl would have walked up the stairs. But yet she didn't see Tanner laying there. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous the lies and how... Um, detectives didn't push harder
0: boy or... So it is clear that in the beginning, the detectives believed that there was, in fact, a crime committed and there was no accident here. Once the coroner got his hands on the evidence, his exact words were This is a very complicated case with many unanswered questions. At this time, I will not be closing the case. This case will remain under investigation. He said these words on May 30th. Tanner died on April 22nd, so more than a month after this incident, they believed that this case was in fact not an accident and it was a crime scene.
1: Also, I observed blood and foamy froth coming out of his nose. His neck and his head and neck appears to be a dark purple. Also observed smeared blood on right side of face, right hand, little finger, and above knuckles on the right hand. And that's all signs of an overdose the foam and blood coming out of your nose um right. because you're overdosing you're, you're overdosing right and and he obviously knew something was going on and that's why he wiped his nose and um there was blood we have they took pictures of the couch and there was like you could tell that there, it looked like blood droplets had came down onto the couch it was a leather couch and that was in the pictures i see seen one of those but one thing that we cannot, and this is the one thing I think that these people, I know the, scene, the crime scene was staged because there were pictures in that, the pictures I've seen, they made these shoes appear to be my son's, but those weren't the shoes my son had on the night he, he passed and he left our house, he had on these. And I'm not gonna say the color because I don't want those people to, to know what, you know, I don't want right. any of that out there, but they were very light very, very light. That's all I'm going to say. And the shoes that were there underneath his jacket were dark black Nikes. Well, he had a pair of those, but we packed them up and I remember seeing them. I, I, I remember going, God, I wish I would have had those other pair of shoes back. Um, but they weren't, they weren't in the pictures and those were not his shoes. And my thought, and this is just my thought, was when he wiped Something was on, you know, coming out of his mouth and knows he was overdosing. The blood dripped on those light colored shoes and they got rid of them because there was evidence
0: on them. Tanner's toxicology report came back inconsistent. They took Tanner's blood the day he died, which is standard protocol. They sent it to the Howard County lab and he had a blood alcohol content of 0.063. During the autopsy part of the protocol again is a urine sample. The coroner stated that he was not able to retrieve any urine. The forensic lab in Indianapolis came back with a negative for alcohol, positive for marijuana and positive for a little caffeine in his system. The EMS report said that Tanner had vomit in his throat and lungs. They also said that he had blood coming from his nose. So what does this mean? Michelle Barton was told that these were all signs of an overdose. There was also blood on the backside of Tanner's hand. To Michelle this meant that Tanner had wiped his nose and he knew something was wrong. It didn't take long for this case to take a weird and shocking turn leaving Tanner's family devastated and hungry for the truth. Out of nowhere they changed their minds and came out saying that the cause of death for Tanner was positional asphyxia. Michelle believes that Tanner was slipped ketamine or spice. Ketamine is a very dangerous drug that was created to be a horse tranquilizer. Let's take a little detour and explore the drug ketamine. Now I just wanna preface that I am in no means a medical professional. This is merely information I have found through research and I will link the direct links of the information that I found. When misused, ketamine can change your sense of sight and sound. You can have hallucinations and feel out of touch with your surroundings and even from yourself. It can make it hard to speak or move. It is the most widely used anesthetic in veterinary medicine and is used for some surgical procedures on humans. When you call ketamine a horse tranquilizer, it evokes imagery of a drug so strong it can knock out a horse. Just imagine the effect it can have on a human body. Ketamine leaves them totally paralyzed for hours, as if pinned to the sofa or bed by an invisible weight. In that time, they cannot speak nor move, their nervous system rendered impotent by the anesthetic, and their brain temporarily turned to useless mush. Users are also at risk of death from heart and respiratory system failure, as well as perforation of the bowel and stomach. According to experienced horse surgeon, Andy Crawford, he said why people take ketamine is a real head scratcher. You can see for yourself the force of the drug. Once it is in the horse's system, we have about 90 seconds to insert a breathing tube. If we don't, there is a danger of the breathing system stopping. This is also a real risk in humans too. It is also crucial we give the horse a sedative such as diazepam, as ketamine can make them extremely twitchy and causes spasms. They are out of control at this point. Ketamine is a dissociative drug, which means it takes away all control of the body. It is the opposite of cocaine or amphetamine high, which amplifies control and alertness. Ketamine sends people down. So let's go with the theory that Tanner was slipped ketamine. There is no way for Tanner to survive that. If a horse, a much larger animal, needs a breathing tube inserted in no longer than 90 seconds, imagine what it would do to a human who doesn't have someone to monitor them the effects of ketamine to a person is parallel to tanner's case here is where things get a bit more interesting the mother of the household tanner was at just so happens to own a veterinary clinic there was another man there that night um
1: and he loaded up that morning who had um with ketamine for several years and lost his license due to ketamine. And that's why I told the coroner, and that's when, um, you know, he told me, it doesn't
0: take a rocket scientist to figure
1: this one out. Yeah. Now, can I blame this person? No, I cannot, because obviously somebody tampered with all the toxicology reports, and um, you know, there's tests that weren't, weren't done, there were tests that were done. done, it's ridiculous that, um, this was even, it's the
0: cover up. I'm just going to pause there and make it very clear that we are not in any way, shape, or form blaming or accusing any one person. As we know, in America, you are innocent until proven guilty by the American court system. I am merely presenting you the facts that I was given. Michelle doesn't believe her son was slipped a drug to kill him. She believes he was slipped a drug as something to try out something funny, and they may have wanted to see what would happen.
1: Yeah, kind of like, hey, or slipped it in his drink to see what he would do.
0: I was going to say, if she did get him that beer, is it possible that she did slip it in that beer?
1: Or something, yeah, because yeah. I said they had um, whiskey that night, too, and, mm. you know, she hid the bottles, and I'm like, okay, wait a second, it was almost a full bottle of of Jim Beam. And Tanner's blood alcohol was only zero point zero six three, and that's like a couple beers for a guy his size. Right. And this girl said she's never drank before, and a bottle's gone, like almost a full bottle of Jim Beam. You know, is gone? No, come on. I know better than that. I drink, and there's no way in heck I um I would have been I would have been I would have been puking. I would have been you know.
0: Six years ago, when the coroner was doing the autopsy on Tanner, he said that his heart was slightly enlarged. A new coroner who assumed office in 2017, Steve Seeley, began to familiarize himself with Tanner's case and then said that the cause of death for Tanner was that he had an enlarged heart. He then sent the case over to forensic pathologist Dr. Thomas Sozio of Central Indiana Forensic Associates and he came to the conclusion that the cause of death was an enlarged heart and he was morbidly obese and had a short neck.
1: An enlarged heart. But okay, everybody, if you're an athlete, you have an enlarged heart. Your heart's a muscle. Right. And it's going to enlarge. And when you're a big person, it's going to enlarge. And and this is the one thing that it, it tore me up that Howard County accused Tanner of being obese, with an morbidly obese, with a with a short neck. Uh, you know, my husband doesn't cry, but that killed him. Mm-hmm. That killed him. He said that boy busted his butt, busted his butt to get, you know, break all the school records for weightlifting, and you know, he played college football. He was the best lineman in the state of Indiana. He, you know, he was built. You know, he was built for the job that he had to do out on the football field. He wasn't some... They made it sound like Tanner was so drunk and so morbidly obese and with a short neck he just was too, not strong enough to lift himself up and reposition himself to breathe. And I'm like, I, I'm telling you, that's the only... I didn't read anything when all this was closed. Um, I was advised not to because it, it was so heart-wrenching but that's mm-hmm. one part that... Um, somebody told me. So you got to This is ridiculous. And and I like I told him. I said you had my son's heart in your hand. Six. This was um back when I said this. It was six years ago. I said you had his heart in your hand six years ago, and you couldn't have told us this. You said yeah he had a slightly enlarged heart. Okay. So now. Six years later, without any new evidence, any new toxicology, any new anything, you're just gonna say that um, his, his heart, you know, he, he couldn't breathe and he collapsed because he took Adderall. They said he took Adderall um, three days before. And when you go to play college football, it's a it's a job. They build your body up to take those hits from those big guys. Mm-hmm. And his his. his wasn't short, he had a thick neck because it's muscle. Right. My son was extremely and so everybody's like, Oh, Michelle, you know, then I was told that um he had collapsed um a couple weeks before on the football field. Now that's a lie too because I spoke with um the trainers and they said no he did not. I spoke with his um roommate from college who you know he's his side man on the field at all times he said no Michelle he said Tanner got a little dizzy he said but so did a lot of um players because it was an exceptionally hot day and um you know he just got overheated and he just went in there and you know got a little fluid and came back out I said well they said that he collapsed on the field and they had to carry him off he goes no they did not no 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 And, you know, so I'm like, the lies that people, it's awful what what Howard County has allowed people to do and say.
0: They said that he couldn't breathe as he collapsed because he took Adderall three days before and it it has caused his heart to go into an arrhythmia three days later and it caused him to die from positional asphyxia. Don't forget the forensic lab report did not come back with any traces of Adderall in Tanner's system. Michelle also thought that this was a bit strange, so she decided to look at the reports again, and she saw that there was a urine test done, which is a little bit odd because the coroner himself said said that he could not retrieve any urine sample from Tanner. Another strange element was this urine sample showed negative for marijuana, but the forensic lab report was positive. Let's take another medical detour. Again, I am not by any means a qualified medical professional. The facts that I am presenting to you today is merely from extensive amounts of research over the course of a month. An arrhythmia is a problem with the rate of rhythm of your heartbeat. Now, Adderall can in fact cause an arrhythmia by increasing your blood pressure and heart rate causing heart palpitations. Doctors classify arrhythmias not only by where they originate, atria or ventricles, but also by the speed of heart rate they caused. There are two types of arrhythmias, tachycardia and there is a bradycardia. Now the tachycardia refers to a fast heartbeat at a, in a resting heart rate greater than 100 beats a minute. The bradycardia, this refers to a slow heartbeat and a resting heart rate less than 60 beats a minute. Not all tachycardias or bradycardias mean you have heart disease. Your heart's rhythm may be so erratic that it turns into sudden cardiac deaths and not positional asphyxia. Again, I am not a medical professional. This is information I am giving you that was found through many hours of research. I will have all my sources in the description box if you are on YouTube or in the show notes for any other other platform you may be listening on.
1: It's an actual test in these case files and it's a urine sample test. Now, the coroner himself said that no urine could be taken, the new coroner, and he said it was not documented in either one of the pathologists or the coroner's notes. But, but yet, all of a sudden, there's this urine test that pops up. And um, and they even said it's, it's documented in all this stuff. There was no urine, but yet it popped up. So then I'm like, all right, so I looked through it. Now, when you take a urine test, that's like when you go, like, go get, you know, to a... Oh, like a job. You know right. how they take your urine and they kick for all drugs? Right. Okay. Well, and marijuana always is like, you know, that, that fails everybody and people, you know. <laughs> that's the one that, yeah, everybody fails the marijuana, you know. Right. It always does that. Well, in this test, it showed negative for marijuana in a urine sample the day after Tanner died. Even though he was supposed to have smoked tons and tons and tons of marijuana shown up in his out in his urine test.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. That's so out.
1: somebody threw this in because this test was taken, um I I looked at the, the times. The times it was taken it seems that it, the minute appears though it had been retrieved during the autopsy mm-hmm. and tested during the autopsy. Within eight minutes they got the results back. But yet the coroner's not going to mention that a urine sample had been or the pathologist is not gonna mention that at all in the test in the in the report. Right. When they can't figure anything out, it would have been in there. So then I'm like, well, this is crazy. So um it just leads back to there was a test and I have a the person who lawyered up that day mm-hmm. the, I, I went on the Nancy Grace show.
0: Yeah, I saw and that he,
1: That's why we never did part two, and um, he sent it to the death investigator that was working, you know, with us on this, and Nancy Grace, so they couldn't do part two. But in his paragraph, which was, this was sent to me by Nancy Grace's, um, one of her investigative reporters. It says, um, this is just a little paragraph. It says, for example. You claim that the police ignored Ms. Barton's allegedly repeated request for ketamine testing and eventually failed to do so. Unbeknownst to you, the police independently undertook to conduct testing for ketamine, which eventually proved to be an empty lead. There was no independent test. I already, I asked for all that and I said, I want copies of all your independent tests, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, my thought is, is that that urine test that the police independently snuck into the, to the case file to make it look like marijuana and all drugs were out of his, there were no drugs in his system. Cause he, I'm telling you this detective, I asked him a million times for this or that. Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. I'll get back with you. Okay, but you're the lead detective. Okay, so sir, you're the lead detective and, um, how, how do you not know this stuff? Right. Well, so you know, and, and I, I mean, simple stuff. He told us, literally, literally, he said, oh, they got urine samples from Tanner. Um, I, I said, well, where's their urine test or whatever? Oh, they got that, they got a urine sample from Tanner um, at the
0: crime scene. And I'm like, what? I'm like, <laughs> Why would they take it at the crime scene?
1: Yeah, and I said, what, did you stand up and pee? I said, that's impossible. <laughs> and I'm like, are you, are you, a, oh my God, this is, this is how, um, inept they are. This is how inept he is. He's, he's an investigator, and you're going to tell me that you got urine? See, the urine thing is where I said. I believe it's an inside cop thing, and I believe somebody in the system forged that, 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 uh, urine sample made it look as though... Um, there was nothing in the
0: system. That way we couldn't sue the parents for wrongful death. Now, in 2018, this case was officially closed and it was listed as an accident, not a crime. Since this case has been closed, Michelle Barton has been very vocal about the tragic death of her son, Tanner. Michelle went on the Dr. Oz Show and Nancy Grace to help find some more answers.
1: The case te- the file came... When you do a UPS, um, you, you go to UPS or, or FedEx and you get one of those envelopes,
0: of, yeah. you know, it sitting now. It was it was what? I'm sorry. You know
1: those envelopes, those you know, just like those white envelopes from FedEx. Yeah,
0: just normal everyday mailing ones. Yeah,
1: yeah, a mailing one. Yeah, it's the normal eight by ten size. Yeah. It all fits in there. That's it.
0: That's it. Not a big yellow envelope, just a small white one.
1: Yeah, just a white yeah, with, and for what they're saying, because my attorney was like, and I remember this, because um, so I was excited. He goes, We finally got the files, Michelle. We finally got them because I got so many. I can barely get them to the car. And they're, you know, they're all in my hands. And I'm like, Oh, great. And I was excited. And then they come to me, he sends them to me, and I'm like, This is it? The, the, wait, this is it? And you had all these case files, and you couldn't get them to your car because there were so many. And this is it? Right. I don't think they all knew that um, I was going to be able to get get the case filed because when I told the detective, this was last, it was 2018, so fall of 2018, August, September. I told him I had the case filed. Well, he knew I had the case filed because this was a new detective who was put on the case and I told him I had the case filed. And um, but of course, you know, he wasn't involved in Tanner's case or he would have remembered that. He asked me every which way, but, but, you know, upside down how I got that case file. And I just, I, you know, I was elusive. I was like, oh, I just got it. And he kept going, well, who, who, who was around you when you got it? Where did you get it? I mean, it, I was like, what the hey? So, finally, I just said, from my attorney. I mean, he was really concerned that I had this case file.
0: Why is so, that? Huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then... Then when I got on Nancy Grace, and then I went to the Dr. Oz show, um, while I was doing all that thing, and, um, and I was on, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm gonna give a shout out to Beck from Minds and Madness. I will tell you, um, she and I worked. She worked so hard. I'm telling you, that that woman is basically the one who, who showed us all the stuff that was in. I mean, she just kept on it. She was like an investigator. Um, and she got so much information for us that it was I was like wow and, and we put it together and she was actually speaking with the detective at that point I mean back and forth he was you know kind of working with her well then and then when I went on dr Oz um, it just all it just all went south I was the most hated person in the world they made and detectives were involved because um, the detective, one of the Dr. Oz people put a um, a horrid
0: horrid
1: um, public announcement out on on their actual Facebook page and when I tell you, I mean, called me every name but my name, I think and um, the detective on the case was the second one to like it. What? Yes. I have screenshots, everything. So we called him we sent an email, a legal email, to the sheriff's department, the sheriff, the actual sheriff, and the prosecutor, and that morning, within 30 minutes of, of, of us sending that, that detective called me nonstop. stop I wouldn't answer. I had nothing I could say to him, plus I was in physical therapy because I'd just broken a couple toes, so, you know, I was in the pool swimming, and his, his call to me was first like, hey Michelle, just wanted to see if you're doing okay. I was driving in Dallas traffic, so I, I, I don't pick my phone up, so I didn't pick it up. Um, but I had, you know, I just pushed the button when it came through and, you know, I pushed it on DNS. Well, when I got there, um, it, it, it rang again. Hey, I want to talk to you in about 20 minutes. He texted me and said, I got to go to a meeting in about 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to talk to you real quick. Okay, well, all right. Well, I went on into therapy, didn't message him back. Um, he called me almost every hour on the hour if not twice an hour to talk to me and and it continued and he got, I tried to call my sister i just i had nothing to say when i seen that he was in cahoots with that show i knew it i knew that this was all part of i, I had nothing i could say and so within a couple of days they closed tanner's case um on my husband and i's anniversary and on the day we buried tanner yeah they closed the case on the 27th of april um and we buried tanner on our anniversary it was we we didn't know i mean it was on our 21st wedding anniversary was when tanner died we buried him on our 21st wedding anniversary Hmm. so these people closed yeah you know you don't know what day it is so we just picked a day it was a friday and to find out it was our anniversary, so I'm like, Wow So then, so then they they closed it.
0: Very active on Twitter at Justice for Tanner. Michelle is a mother who lost her son suddenly. She wants answers. She wants the truth, and she wants justice.
1: So much to it, but to, to just make a, a long story short, I believe it was a cover-up, and I believe somebody in the sheriff's department um,
0: covered for this family. right everybody what did you guys think about this case now this case is very heartbreaking it's very confusing because we are not we were not given any names um, so it's kind of just I had to describe the per, who that person was in relation to who they were to Tanner so you know the best friend, sister the dad or you know all that the only names we were given was Michelle Tanner and um, the new coroner that was appointed in 2017 so I really hope you guys were able to follow that um, and kind of get an idea of what this case is. And I do encourage you guys to, you know, be vocal about this case, to spread it around, to really get Tanner's voice heard, to get his case out there. Um, this case is very—it's—it's it's a little interesting. It's not like any other case I have covered. Um, well, it might be similar to a case. It might be similar to um, the Alyssa attorney case, meaning that there's just no answers for anything. And it's very confusing because there's so much information that contradicts one another. And it's it's a little confusing. I'm not gonna lie. Like I said earlier, I was extremely confused um when I, you know, was like researching this case. The phone call did clear a lot of things up, but um, there's just a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of things that contradict each other. So it is, it's a little weird in my opinion. I do think that, you know, there is something, there's some someone out there that knows something that is not saying something. I do believe that. I believe there's just way too much um, unanswered questions out there. And for the case to just suddenly, suddenly be shut, it is a bit interesting. Um, in my opinion, that in the beginning, you know, the coroner, you know, was like, nope, this is a crime scene. The detectives even thought that this was an, a crime scene. I mean, when they came up, they they said that they didn't believe, you know, that family at first. They didn't believe any of their statements. And there was detectives all throughout the yard. There was crime scene tape. Like they did believe that this was actually a crime scene. So what happened for it to turn into an accidental death in it's just a little bit weird. It's strange. It's confusing. I know. So I do really encourage you guys to help research, help find answers what's out there. I know none of us are, well, I mean some of you might be, but a trained detective or, you know, anything in the the world that is actually like with your job helping Um, find answers for victims families anything in like criminology anything like that Um, but what we do have is we do have our own voices that we can use and we do have social media it doesn't matter if you have a big social media following it doesn't matter if you have one person following you versus you know million it it does not matter all that matters is that you're spreading the the case and that you know if it reaches just one other person how many people sharing this just reach one person I mean that could be huge and it just has to reach I guess you could say the right people that are going to you know actually try and do something about it so I know I don't have like the biggest social media following ever but this is case is really near and dear to my heart it I really do want to help Michelle and her family um, find answers as to what happened to her son I can't imagine what being a mother I mean I'm not a mother but I can't imagine you know losing your son and then either being lied to or just not having any answers and you know there is a thing called mother's intuition and I believe that that is a true thing I believe that you know a mother does know when something is wrong and Michelle truly truly believes that there is something missing in this case and that something really did happen to her son again I do want to say that we were not in any shape way or form accusing or anybody accusing anybody or saying that they did anything Um, I'm just merely presenting to you the facts and things that I thought was a bit strange. So there is no accusations, you know, that we are making on this. We are just saying that things are a bit strange and that somebody should really take a look into this case again, and it should not have been closed because things are not adding up here. Again, you are innocent until proven guilty in the American, in the American court system. And I fully, truly 100% believe that and have to honor that. And, um, Again, I like I want to say again, I'm not a medical professional. This is just information that I have found on um, the internet. So I just want to make sure that those claims, those, I'm just disclaiming everything so that you guys know that this, not doing any accusing or anything like that. Um, I'm just merely presenting you with the facts. I want to make sure that is very, very clear. And that nobody can twist that in any way at all. So, um, thank you guys again so much for listening. I do really want to hear what you guys thought about this case. I want to know what you think. Do you think it's a bit strange as I do? Do you think, you know, what do you think about it? Please let me know um, on Twitter. Go ahead and follow Michelle. She's at Justice4Tanner. It's the number four, not the word four. Um, go ahead, follow her. She is, you know, doing an amazing job and she definitely does need your help. So let's help Michelle find answers for her son. Um, And then, yes, thank you guys so much for listening. And I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.